it's an exciting thing to actually be on the other side of the exam table, on the patient side. So some of this goes into advocacy. And there are a whole area growing up of patient advocacy, and a lot of those are non-physicians. But for a physician to actually try and take on a little bit of role of the advocacy in a non-treating way. So, you know, I'm not your treating physician. And that puts me in a different special place because I'm not running you your prescriptions and I'm not responsible for your... I'm responsible for helping you process this as if I were your your brother-in-law and can ask the questions that need to be asked um, either directly of one of your providers or helping coach you, if you will, before you go and see them. And as you do your own education, and let's be honest, there's tons and tons and tons of sometimes too much information out there now. Which of the things is real interesting 15 years down the road? What is really interesting now? If you have a 30-minute visit with an oncologist and you've got a plan, but you want to know a little bit about what might be next, what questions should you maybe focus in on and and, uh, how should you best utilize that 30-minute interaction this week? And uh, so there are these kinds of questions. And putting myself in that non-treating role has been very, I think it's powerful. It's also been gratifying. When cancer enters your life, things get real very quickly. Today's story is an especially personal one for me, as my friendship with my guest and his engagement with my search for a diagnosis led to treatment that saved my life. I'm speaking with Jonathan Cohen, gastroenterologist and founder of MD Medical Navigators. John discusses how he was drawn to medicine by the intensity of interactions between physicians, patients, and family, as well as its intellectual and emotional aspects. He also talks about the desire to innovate and follow his curiosity, which is at the center of his personal approach to his profession. John discusses how his desire to explore from different perspectives, coupled with a keen sense of the need for humility, has led him to a new endeavor as an advocate for patients and families as they navigate their health care. I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real Cancer. John, thanks a lot for coming in today to talk with me. It's my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to it. Let's start our conversation by just talking a little bit about you as a physician. Why and when did you decide to become a doctor, and uh, you know what took you in that direction? Well, it's funny. I didn't wake up one morning in sixth grade saying, I'm going to be a doctor. Uh, the nearest thing in my family to a physician was my great uncle, who was a geologist out, oh. out in Kansas. <laughs> yeah, that's real close. <laughs> he gave me some inspiring books on science history, and I always liked science, and so I explored some of that uh, early in college with some of the prerequisite pre-med classes just in case and uh, did you study science in college yes I was a biology major oh okay but for me it's interesting because I liked a lot of things and biology was a major where I could take the pre-med requirements and just about everything else so I didn't have uh, if I was going to do pre-med I could do a little history, a little English, uh, 
lots of different other other subjects. If I had majored in something like history, mm-hmm. why well, then I'd have to if I wanted to pre med that would be it. So uh, right. sort of a potpourri approach, and then gradually I had some exploratory experiences where I tried to you know go around with a, a physician mentor to see what it might be actually like uh, to be a doctor. But that was when you were an undergrad or earlier? Yes, when I was an undergrad. Mm-hmm. And also getting involved with uh, student health advisory uh, groups to uh, do some education around topics uh, relevant to college students at the time. So it was putting myself in a position to assess, is this where I want to go? Is this what I want to do? So it was a gradual awakening, if you will, rather than a, you know, than a uh, thunderclap early in my Right. You, you, you've had a, a general direction since you decided to study science as an undergrad, but um, what you were going to do in that, whether it was going to be being a physician sort of came over time. Yeah. And I could have uh, even studying science I, as, as late as, say, sophomore year, I sort of could have um, decided to pivot into uh, other particular areas uh, of interest. But but uh, this really seemed increasingly to be where I would find satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And what was it about it that made you um, make that assessment? It actually wasn't so much the science. It was the intensity of the interactions that I saw mm-hmm. uh, between uh, the physician and patient and family. There was a three-way because it wasn't just the individual patient. And uh, I thought some of the dilemmas were particularly exciting, challenging, how to solve the, the problems that were faced and to try and come up with solutions, practical solutions, and uh, also see the dynamics, uh, the intensity of the interpersonal interplay when a family or a patient was you know, faced with an illness. Mm. And um, so it was both the intellectual as well as the emotional aspect of it sort of hit a nerve. Right. Okay. Great. Thank you. All right, so you and I usually see each other uh, about uh, twice a year, and whenever we catch up, I'm always struck that you're working on something new that's related to your field, but somewhat outside of your regular practice. You've uh, written books, you you teach, um, you've come up with apps in the past. <laughs> um, it's it's pretty broad. It's all kind of connected to medicine, but it's not, and and your field, but it's not really what I imagine that, uh, you know, my local doctor is doing. So I wanted to just have you talk a little bit about like, what itch is it that you're scratching by experimenting with and expanding, expanding the um, boundaries of your professional calling? Well, that's a nice way of putting it. Uh, Thanks. I think there's a general desire to innovate, desire to sort of follow up on something that's curious. Uh, There's a a need that, that that I see has not been explored. That's a general. I think there's there's also the personal approach to my profession, and that is, I kind of want to be involved with whatever new developments are going on. I don't want to just stay in a comfort zone and and do it and enjoy it, which I do. So some of the things that I'm doing now are the same things when I had my first job outside of training 21 years ago. I um, I still do some of those things, mm-hmm. and I enjoy them every bit as much. Uh, I, but I, I definitely, when a new 
procedure comes along or technique, I tend to be one of the people that wants to try and learn it and pick it up, which is not always so easy in the course of a practice where you have day-to-day obligations, you're busy, you also have a family and, and doing things with your family. And uh, it's it, it poses a challenge. It, it, it requires a, an active desire to do it and uh, ability to compartmentalize a little bit to uh, find some time to you know, to invest in learning what you need to do and they don't always pan out sometimes you learn a new technique and then it turns out that it's you know pulled <laughs> three months later and then so but it's not but it's the process of wanting to um, um, keep fresh mm-hmm. and up to date and um, I think it's if I had been in another field altogether I think I would have liked to do that there's some people who are always wanting to do that and other people really are very happy they've got their they've got it down pat and they're very happy in it and they give some satisfaction and that's fine so part of it comes into 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 that divide mm-hmm. right so it's just part of your personality to be kind of curious and wanting to learn new things well you know the other the other reason to learn new things is is, is if there's a uh, if there are some forces at bay that uh, require it so some folks will be increasingly having to retool mm-hmm. because they're facing a challenge. You know, if the climate is changing, you have to adapt a little bit. And uh, the techniques and the types of things that people are doing in their career, if the needs change, the needs of the population change one way or another, uh, for example, you know, with the you know, uh, increasing problem with obesity mm-hmm. for a gastroenterologist, there are a lot of challenges in that area and there are a lot of new innovative things that can be done and to ignore those and say oh let someone else who's training kind of do those mm. that's a lot of potential change in what we might see and so uh, i think it's, it becomes imperative to to, uh, to do that from a professional standpoint but it's also fun and challenging to get involved and keep it fresh right Right, absolutely. Let me uh, change direction just a little bit. Um, This is, as you know, the Real Cancer podcast. And so I've been talking to quite a few people who currently have or who've had cancer. And one of the things I've been struck with in talking to them is how consistently people have kind of a, a story of their diagnosis of many twists and turns, blind alleys, um, misdiagnoses, just general difficulty getting to the understanding what it is that they have so that they can get the right treatment. From your perspective as a physician with uh, many years of experience, how do you understand the path that patients often take in finding out what's going on with them? I wish there was a single way, overriding way to characterize that path but as you know from all your conversations there's so many different paths and routes to that exploration sometimes they're much more efficient than others sometimes there's serendipity Uh, someone gets a scan for some totally other reason which finds something that leads them down that path a lot sooner than they would have otherwise discovered right so other times people have something else that's a misdirect that tends them to take them in the wrong direction until they really get it uh, figured out. So uh, it's quite, I think it's quite varied uh, in terms of, of what they do and also um, how they approach it. 
how proactive they are, how much do they question or also organize their thoughts and organize their questions, mm -hmm. which is critically important. Have an active role in talking to their doctors, is that what you're, you're meaning? Yeah, but not just an active role in talking to them. Almost that when you go to a meeting, and even when we were having planning this conversation, I'm sure you planned some questions that you were going to ask and talk about. So I think figuring out what your personal questions are, organizing them a bit, and presenting them. Because it, as you know, most doctor's visits, half an hour, sometimes less. Right. Sometimes doctors spending most of the time now trying to get to know some of the basic facts about you, doing a lot of data entry. Sure. There's a lot of barriers and how much real quality time one-on-one -on -one, do you get to present your questions so that there could be a real exchange of story, mm -hmm. reception of story, and a thought process that can lead to making the right first steps. So in order to facilitate that, there's, there is a lot that I think an individual or a family member can do. Uh, to use their own insights and their information, their questions, and um, to help the physician or other provider help them. Yeah. I, th I think the one thing I'm struck with talking to people is that it seems like uh, they have a belief that they sh it should have been easier, it sh there should have been a better test, or there should have just been a, a clearer path. So I just wanted to see how you understand that from from your perspective. Um, you know, I think people come out of their experiences often feeling like, wow, there's just so much that's unknown or it's it's so difficult to kind of figure out what's what's going on with somebody sometimes. I, I think it's a mystery of, of uh, how come uh, so many things go right. Mm, at the that same is so true. <laughs> So it's a glass half empty, half full about about approach to to uh, some of that aspect, and I think that the days of viewing the healthcare provider as the omniscient mm -hmm. person are, I think, largely in the past, uh, at least in many you know places I you know around the around the country. I think there are some places where people still have that, whether it's a um, sort of mysterious or a sort of um, superstitious belief that though the provider, I saw the provider, therefore I checked that one off. I did that. So it's all, if there was something wrong, it was found. Mm, right. And then if uh, it didn't come across at that initial interaction and it wasn't found, then something dramatically wrong had to happen. And sometimes things and signs of problems are obvious and sometimes they're a little bit more pesky in terms of trying to um, sort them out or tease them out. Right. So I think it varies, and I think there are some misconception on both ends of what uh, to expect. Doctors may expect that the patient will say absolutely every relevant symptom. And of course, we're trained to try and tease everything out and to ask the right questions. Right. And I think there's an issue about uh, the amount of time for that high-quality two-way interaction that will facilitate some of the important things coming out in a, in a, in a visit, which some of the present uh, challenges make a little more difficult. Right, right. Just going further down that route a little bit, 
prior to my own diagnosis with ovarian cancer in 2015, you really helped me to navigate my way when I was experiencing some symptoms. I had had some interactions with doctors that didn't seem to be getting at what was going on with me. I had some test results that were kind of clear. And you really helped me to work through the different avenues of exploration um, so that I finally connected with the right people and was able to get a diagnosis. How do you, from your perspective, how do you approach that kind of medical puzzle when you have that kind of information and different routes to, to explore? Well, first of all, it was absolutely, uh, it's a joyous thing to be able to help uh, you know, uh, in any way, and and um, yeah, thank you so, very so. much. <laughs> <laughs> let's just get to the, the, the that's the let's start with that. Um, I think that you are the kind of person that was, in a way, easy to help because you were so clear-headed, and in a time that it was extremely emotional, we're also able to keep it together enough to sort of have that dialogue to work to figure out an organization, a thought process, a logic Mm. that we could bring to bear. It wasn't just finding a good doctor. And we did a little triangulation too. We found it from different sources. And when the different sources found sort of the same people, so we knew that was good. And I'm using the word we, because we had, it was, we worked together on that. It wasn't me helping you uh, here. It was Let's figure, try and figure this out a little bit together. There was a big effort in communication. Getting together with the people you saw, again, as I talked earlier about it, organizing what the questions were, what's the big issue? And then also, there were a lot of issues, a lot of, and what was the lesser issue? Mm-hmm. That we could, we'll, we'll deal with that. Let's not forget about it, but let's compartmentalize. Let's put that over there on the side. Uh, mention it on the list of things, because you never know if maybe that's an important clue. Then approach it in different logics of, well, the physician logic typically is when they hear about some symptoms, you say, well, what could it be? That's the first way of thinking. The other is, what must we make sure it's not? And you can go through and you can go through the shotgun approach of figuring everything it might be and scan everything and do every test. But... You know, you have to be somewhat efficient about things and figure things figure things out that way. So, um, these were some of the twenty thousand feet questions that I was able in talking with you mm-hmm. hear what the other folks had said to you and try and think it fresh. Right. Now, what the others have said to you, it's interesting in in the moment in that interaction with one individual. There's an immediacy to you ask a question, you get an answer. You can look at some limited amounts of data that's in front of you. You don't always have all the records. How many people come for a second opinion without even having their result of what the first opinion was or uh, what the results of the scans are and you have collecting all that kind of information. So you have limited time, limited information, and you get a response. Some people are so affected and understandably so that it's like a deer in the headlights. Mm, so fear takes over. Yeah, so they may not even really recall exactly what was said mm-hmm. or the right nuance in the way it was said. They may key in on one thing mm. and either be really over-reassured or over-panicked. 
that's why, again, if you have a family member that can be there taking some notes, that's part of the important communication, certainly communication among providing doctors. Um, and, you know, uh, nurses or advocates or one thing or another uh, is, is also very crucial. Right. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that you're working on right now is that you are... Is it launching or already launched a, a new sort of medical navigation business? Yes, uh, I've already launched it. Uh, launched it, all right. And so can you just talk a little bit about the genesis of the idea of someone who helps patients navigate their inter- interactions with doctors and how you're kind of working with this concept? Sure. I'll start by saying it's not just helping patients navigate, it's helping families navigate as best one can, because I think mm-hmm. that it's, um, those are key, key resources and dynamics to, to, to take advantage of and to work together with. So the concept really came to me over many years of helping people like you and others out uh, to do just that. And um, when I spoke to some of my colleagues about what I've been doing or contemplating doing, it was universally recognized. Oh yeah, sure, Thanksgiving dinner. I do that all the time, you know, because people are asking, people who are fortunate enough to have uh, someone in the family mm-hmm. or are very close that will, you know, pick up and, uh, and join your, your journey, if right. you will, to help you figure it out. It may be just one conversation, but it might not be. It may be that they're on for the long haul to help you process whatever good and bad things that are you're, you're confronting and an ongoing dialogue. So um, I've had experience with both and many of my friends have had experience with both as well. And one of the things that's most interesting in the way I can see this, it's an exciting thing to actually be on the other side of the exam table, on the patient side. So some of this goes into advocacy. And there are a whole area growing up of patient advocacy, and a lot of those are non-physicians. But for a physician to actually try and take on a little bit of role of the advocacy in a non-treating way. So, you know, I'm not your treating physician. Mm -hmm. And that puts me in a different special place because I'm not running your prescriptions and I'm not responsible for your... I'm responsible for helping you process this as if I were your your brother-in-law and can ask the questions that need to be asked um, either directly of one of your providers or helping coach you if you will before you go and see them and as you do your own education and let's be honest there's tons and tons and tons of sometimes too much information out there now right which of the things is real interesting 15 years down the road, what is really interesting now, if you have a 30-minute visit with an oncologist and you've got a plan, but you want to know a little bit about what might be next, what questions should you maybe focus in on and and, uh, how should you best utilize that 30-minute interaction Mm -hmm. this week? And uh, so there are these kinds of questions. And putting myself in that non-treating role has been very, I think it's powerful. It's also been gratifying to be mm-hmm. able to be uh, have that kind of you know it reduces some of the normal barriers, and you have those normal barriers, and they're they're useful. They've been useful in medicine for generations, 
and uh, to help you get on with being professional and helping. And it's very important to you know the, that in terms of that relationship. But it's this is a little bit different, right. and, and so it's been um, that's been exciting. What are some of the things that have surprised you or depressed you or or made you feel gratified in kind of taking that uh, patient role, almost the patient advocate role, seeing things from the other side? Well, the same things that frustrate me are in that role are what frustrate families also. The fact that we we don't know the answer to everything. We have two paths to choose next Tuesday, and we have to choose option A or option B, not fully knowing which one will work and which of them will affect option C, which may not be right there. So the, you also try and locate some really great people for people to see, and um, the interactions may or may not be perfect. Mm-hmm. You can't. Con- some of it's out of your control. If you came to see me in my practice, I can control pretty pretty well uh, the the diligence, the kind of care that I'm going to give you as best I can. Uh, I still can't control everything. I can't control out- outcomes. Right. And uh, so that lack of control is the same uh, frustration that families feel. Mm-hmm. You'd feel also. You're just trying to give people the opportunity to have clear-headed, logical, and best options and decisions. Uh, so there are, uh, you know, fears, to, you know, still, can I do, can I do enough? Uh, did, am I giving enough options? Am mm-hmm. I steering them down just one path rather than making sure they have a couple of options? Uh, and um, it's also been very interesting interacting with the actual treating physicians, not in a way to make them defensive, Mm-hmm. To say, oh, I'm I'm usurping this role, right. but rather, I'm here to help. So I'm also potentially helping the existing doctors, and so that's a a little bit of a, a dance and a nuance as well. That takes some because you can help with some of the communication, yeah, to the patient and helping mm-hmm. the patient really understand right what's going on. The other thing element of what I've been doing is also because I do a lot of teaching and lecturing and everything. I've had great opportunities to go and travel and meet lots of great friends who are also doing that around the country and around the world. And um, that has also, you know, allowed me to sort of see that you could apply this network to help, again, the treating doctors and families take most advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And I guess it works best when it's a personal uh, connections that you use and know. And, you know, if you go to a hospital and you want to know which doctor to use, you can ask one, ask one of the nurses in the unit. They know where they would go, right? So I think that... Uh, um, uh, That's a good the, tip. <laughs> yeah. Well, the more, the more you can uh, leverage interactions, it's, um, more, it's effective and it's also very gratifying. So I think that's uh, another element of what I saw would be a great thing to bring to bear on behalf of families. Right, right. What are some of the the needs that you're hoping to address in, in particular? What are some of the places where people kind of run into difficulties with when they have a complex problem that just can't be, you know, identified, uh, diagnosed really easily and quickly? Well, some people have too few choices and some people have too many choices. Mm-hmm. So those are the those are gen- general terms. Others get um, the, oh, this is what we need to do, a response. 
I have a friend who was uh, at a, um, a dermatological uh, finding and and was told uh, on the basis of one biopsy, oh, we just do another biopsy. And that's what we need to do, mm-hmm. schedule it. And I, that's out of my field. Right. Okay. But um, my little antennae went up and said, is that exactly the only thing and the only option? And without gumming up the works and delaying mm-hmm. that proper thing, I just said, maybe we should speak to uh, someone else, someone else who's really an expert in that uh, from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And when that person was, you know, engaged, and you know, because I called him, he was able to, you know, take care of him right away, and he's, he recommended a dramatically different course mm-hmm. and um and uh maybe my friend would have gotten the right care eventually it may have taken two or three steps maybe they would have gotten less of it and followed and let it go but one way or the other i feel much better that we kind of without delaying things very much create a different perspective mm-hmm. so uh, that's one one example. Other examples have been, you know, real exciting about when people have been out of their element. So they're fine. They're all connected where they are locally. You know, they know everybody. Their doctor is very well collected in the community. Right. But they've had either when they're traveling or their their kids going in to a school and a foreign study program and an issue comes up. Right. The the lack of control, the lack of uh, resources, yep. it becomes really, really readily apparent. So it's not just, gee, you need to go to the ER and the ER, they'll, they'll, they'll patch up your broken mm-hmm. broken elbow, you know, okay, that can be done anywhere. But sometimes there are some questions about management, one thing or another, and, um, you know, it's nice to either be a known quantity where you are, and if one needs to have somebody else brought to bear, I think that that, that application of the network is important. Right. The other, you know, category. Say you're in that town where you're well known. You have you go to the, the right person at a you know university, and they're just not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. This this comes up too. Sure. I'm not making any progress, and then that's when people go into the internet and they go and they hear they get 15 different names, and every single one of their friends at a cocktail party tells them to go to somebody else. Sure. Well-meaning, you know, if they choose to discuss their medical information at the cocktail party I, that, that we can discuss whether that's advisable uh, uh, separately but uh, people can be overwhelmed readily with the alarmist and the people who are the opposite of the alarmist and um, and get a bunch of names and are, and they're always second guessing right I find that a challenge in the note role of navigator when you're you know you're coming up with a plan and everything like that and then you get a lot of other input and you have to always be open to it because whether it's my medical practice or this you have to have humility mm-hmm. and that's often pretty lacking in the medical profession i think that you need to realize that so maybe there is another thing that you don't know about so there's no harm in getting some information right but you don't want to also use so much investigation and so much exploration that you don't treat someone in the now when, when something needs getting done now you don't always have that luxury. So that's the too many choices, too many options, too many possibilities. Well, yeah, it's a little bit of the, um, you know, the Hamlet problem. You know, you know, you have to sometimes you have to act, mm-hmm. and uh, so but you don't want to be rash about it. But uh, so deliberative, deliberate, 
but deliberate and then act. So I think that you need you need both of those things, and that's where people turn to family members, and that's where doctors have helped out their family members before, mm-hmm. and their close friends or college roommates, and one thing or another, and uh, and that's where I. So that's sort of the genesis of how some of this navigation, MD nav- medical navigation, is was conceived. Mm-hmm. Is the difficulty or the, the issues that you're trying to address? Are they something that is particular to the way that we do healthcare here, or is it is it going to happen in any system? Is the system somehow creating the issues that you're addressing, or are these issues that you think would be happening in any kind of um, situation? That's a great question. <laughs> I think that there's probably similar challenges in many of the systems around the world that are are going on. I think that getting real good one-on-one time with the person who knows who you are is increasingly a problem. People are going to, you know, same-day urgent care. They're going to a lot of uh, uh, impersonal medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I gave these lectures in um, in Canada, yeah. and which has a very different system from our own. And uh, uh, they were on uh, colon cancer prevention, and I learned a lot of things. You know, going from province to province, where each area has its own sort of approach to uh, to screening and prevention. There was a lack of um, a feeling that necessarily that they had a provider who was giving them their care. They felt like they were getting their care from the government. And there was also a lack of alignment. So here, you know, you might see doctors and patients you know, marching for breast cancer together, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and then and advocating together. If, if someone, if insurance company was giving a hard time getting something covered, you know, who's going to, I'm going to get on the phone, right? right? And advocate for my patient. So, you know, there was, uh, and I'm sure there's uh, obviously many, many exceptions to this, but, uh, the the general sense of alignment you know of um uh that we have is i think that's it's quite important and it may vary as our system changes where we have uh, people going to say more clinics where they their doctor is a doctor who sees them that day and mm-hmm. if they you say who's your doctor who's your person uh so that's uh you know you know we want to get to increase primary care and i think some of the efforts uh that have been promulgated have been towards getting people to be cared for more by a by a primary care person to oversee their care that would lead to cost uh, effective care more prevention and less reduplication of of uh, testing for example because somebody's kind of overseeing the whole search for and and process of of care right medical records uh, the electronic issues, the, the dilemmas of having people spending so much time doing data entry. Mm-hmm. Yes, the medical records may try and reduce the these duplicated tests and everything like that. But it also is a major, major challenge still to the, the real one-on-one human interaction time between a provider and a, and a, and a patient. And that still ha- that challenge hasn't been figured out here. And to my knowledge, I don't know if that's been figured out in other systems. Mm-hmm. So I think these are uni- more universal uh, issues. 
when you have people going to see people that they don't know as well and don't have continuity with, I think that becomes, you know, an increasing, you know, challenge. Right. Just looking forward in your area or, or other areas, are there any medical advances, lines of research or breakthroughs that you're really excited about? Well, it's an incredibly exciting time. You can just read the regular newspapers every every week with another breakthrough discovery. The release of new innovations as a result of the whole uh, genetic revolution is not going to come in a linear way, I think. I think it's going to come in giant chunks of, uh, of advances if we can afford all of these advances. And that's another question, whether or not the economics will allow to keep pace with the potential that what science can bring, mm. uh, whether or not the bulk of the effort of the paying for healthcare is going to focus on bringing up the, the, uh, the level of care across the board, mm-hmm. which definitely has its, you know, has its priorities and challenges, or, or whether it's going to be on continuing to innovate at those levels where we're going to see giant breakthroughs in some of the diseases, such as uh, some of the cancer breakthroughs that are being postulated and, and, uh, and actually put into, into effect now. Mm-hmm. The other thing is this notion uh, with, with the prospect of science being so exciting, when one's faced with something also, you know, is can one, can one do enough positively now, not, not necessarily to cure something, but to get someone to the point where they can be a candidate for some of these new advances that are just beyond the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of philosophy, so for people that are going into medicine now, I think it's extremely exciting to imagine what uh, all this, all the information with the uh, tremendous amount of the big data, the good side of all that data entry that we're all doing, that's got to have an upside. So that's the, <laughs> we hope that it's not just going to be cost savings, that it's actually going to help us tailor care, tailor diagnosis, and um, whether or not it will free up to provide more human interaction, mm-hmm. which is, I think will be not just as necessary, but maybe even more when mm-hmm. we have all these different choices, and whether or not we will be able to. Um, to uh, bring to bear some of these uh, scientific advances uh, to really change the the course of some of these uh, diseases. Right. So just as as kind of a, a wrapping up question, uh, I think, you know, we've kind of talked around this a little bit, but uh, maybe you can just articulate um, kind of in a, a summary way. What keeps you interested and excited about this field that you went into in, in medicine or, or in the specific things that you're doing in particular? Well, it may sound, sound a little trite, but I'm still, it's still a privilege to be welcome into people's lives with an opportunity to actually make a immediate or a delayed difference. And, um, you know, I'm in a procedural field, gastroenterology, we can sometimes do some things. Uh, so one day I can come home and tell my kids, hey, today I did something, I found something and we took care of something that may have prevented someone from getting cancer. That's a great immediate gratification. Mm. I also have people that I see, that I've seen for years and I just have a great time talking with them and or they're doing fine and we're, you know, interacting and I am part of their 
you know, life experience. Mm -hmm. And that is a great aspect for me personally in terms of my day-to-day satisfaction. These new areas of either techniques that I'm learning to do gives me intellectual satisfaction, so I'm happy about that. And they give me challenges. You know, challenges, how will I be able to be, um, bring to bear? Will they be able to afford the particular new thing that may not be covered without prospects for that? And then this whole area of uh, navigation that I've been exploring now and, and uh, excited about to see how, in a very different way, it might be able to have some, some impact. So a lot of that is um, kind of all jumbled together, but... I'm going to, I think I'm going to continue it for a few more years. <laughs> yeah, you've got a lot of energy, so <laughs> I think you will keep going. Well, thank you so much for, for coming in and, and chatting with me. And of course, I'm, I'm very grateful that uh, you're part of my, uh, my care as well. So thank you so much, well, John. Vice versa. And thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. That's it for today's episode. Thank you, John, for speaking with me about your life as a physician and what keeps you excited and energized about your work. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know why you listened and what you like about the Real Cancer Podcast. Please rate the show and leave a review on iTunes. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Real Cancer on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Real Cancer on Twitter at RealCancerPod and reach us at realcancerpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel. Thanks for listening.